Welcome to The Prestige, all about films, filmmaking and film theory. Each week we pick a movie, review it, talk about it and discuss some of the ideas and themes that it throws up. And as always, we end our recommendations for further reading inspired by the film of the week. But before we kick off, a quick catch up on what else we've been watching. So, this week has been mildly momentous in, in the Maython household. We've been out to the movies. Uh, those who are, who are ardent podcast listeners will know that uh, the birth of my first firstborn, lovely, has kind of uh, torpedoed that for a long time. Um, but luckily, thanks to a, a loving grandmother and early screening, we managed to get out to go and see Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. The, I suppose I would say the latest in the Hogwarts trilogy, because to say it's part of the Harry Potter trilogy seems innocuous given Harry Potter isn't in it. Right. Um, but I don't know. We've got a, a Potter. Let's call it the Potterverse, I suppose. Mm. Uh, but the latest in those, um, featuring uh, Newt Scamander and his fantastic beast that he unleashes accidentally on New York. I really enjoyed it. I think I have some big issues with it, and I think we may touch on those once we start looking at Potter in the New Year. Spoiler alert! Um, but on the whole, it was certainly an enjoyable sort of few hours of my life. Now, now Sam, I know you've seen it as well. Yes. Well, th- this is. This is the one film I've seen this week as well. Um, and it will, given that I haven't seen any of the Potter films, it's quite quite easily my favourite of all those. <laughs> uh, but um, no, I only enjoyed it as well. Um, there were places I thought the narrative dipped a bit. There were things about some of the characters that I thought could have improved, but in general, it was just a really fun film. Mm. It's certainly funnier than almost all of the Potter films have before it. There were the reaction in the cinema that we were in was there were lots of laughs generated by mm. various things that happened. I'm glad. I'm glad. Well, have you seen anything else this week? Um, not at the cinema. Not film-wise. I just have one thing I've been watching which sort of leads quite nicely into our film of the week um, in insofar as it's about um, it's about military um, there are sort of criminal elements to it as well um, and it's a lot to do with the way that men interact with each other which is a central part of this film um, and it's the series that's been on Channel 4 recently, SAS, Who Dares Wins. And, and if you haven't seen it, this is, um, it, it, you can pretty much predict what it is. It's a reality-type show where they put people through a SAS training regime. But it, I would say that it it's sort of in the same bracket as reality TV, which I enjoy, like um, Rich Bake Off, and to a lesser extent, Street Come Dancing, in that you don't root against anyone, and the judges are on the side of the people they're criticising. Mm. There is, yes. it's, it's a very, there's a very strong positive element to what they're doing in this set. Now, while while the judges are all all psychopaths and it's quite disturbing, it it is nice nevertheless for them to be on the side of the ones they're choosing, and you also get to 
something you don't get in the reality TV show like the X Factor. You get to find out more about the judges and why they're in that position. So that that's really interesting. Excellent, excellent. I've actually managed to start watching new TV series as well. I've managed to start watching Westworld, the new HBO show. We've we've managed to do one episode so far, right? But it's very good. If you haven't if you haven't checked it out, if you've seen the original film. Not much of it is going to be surprised you so far. At least the original, the, the pilot episode isn't going to be a, a surprise to you. Um, but it's it's very well done in that kind of modern HBO style. Um, it feels like a, a sort of the new Lost. There's lots of layers and layers and layers of of ideas and thoughts and mysteries. Um, but yeah, certainly grabbed us with the pilot episode. Right. I was confused, first of all, because I heard it was based on a film and thought it was Wild Wild West and then was... no yeah. there is a film called West World oh, okay. back in the back in the 70s it's pretty late 70s oh, okay. um, but moving on from this week we've actually moving on to this week uh, we are picking up with our third in the Alien film franchise titled Alien 3 was there an alien on board yes <laughs> Weapons of any kind. Start. Alien 3 takes place surprisingly after the events of Alien 2. Uh, as Alien 2 ended, or Aliens, um, Ripley, Hicks, Newt, and Ash escape from uh, the colony. Unfortunately, only Ripley survives into Alien 3. Uh, they, she crash lands. Um, on a alien, a, a distant planet, a um, prison colony, male only, that is once a refinery, but now this uh, sort of run by the inmate, shall we say. So you've got a very different film to one and two, from sort of a survival horror into an action film into kind of whatever this one is. Um, from there, the obvious sort of traditional alien tropes happen. Alien is born, uh, people die in corridors. Um, and it ends with a sort of climactic battle. It is in many ways far darker than the earlier films, uh, with main characters who are convicted rapists and murderers, and a lot more shades of grey in the characterization of everyone around Ripley. Sam, your thoughts on Alien 3? I really enjoyed it. Um, I noted quite early on that this was... This was a lot of fun, and not like it. I mean, you've said there are there are darker elements to it, but there is there is a lot of fun to be had in it, and it's not like a terrible prison film. Like um, there's one called The Experiment in 2010 that was based on the Sanford Prison Experiment, um, and it's one of the very few films I've actually stopped watching. Because, I mean, it's a film, it's only two hours of your life, but I just thought that this is not worth watching. So, Fair enough. <laughs> there, are, there are terrible prison films, and this isn't one of them. Um, and I like what you're saying there, because it, it being a, a very different film from the first two films, it, it's like, hmm, none of these films are really about aliens which sounds a ridiculous thing to say. But you're right, the first one is a slasher horror film. 
there happens to have an alien in it. The second one is is still not an alien film. It's an adventure film, um, and this this one really isn't an alien film. Again, it's it's about the relationships between the people in the prison. Some something that struck me was the conversation that Ripley has with Andrews when she says, "Well, what weapons do you have?" And he says, "Well, no, we exist on an honor system here." There's something really interesting about the relationships between people in the prison, and that's far more about the the emotional tone of the film is far more interesting than the, this idea of the alien itself. And I suppose Ripley's place within the prison, and um, the role of, of Ripley, I suppose the role of Ripley in this film is, is much more mm. interesting than the role of the alien in this film. Yes, yeah, I, I would... I would agree entirely on that. And I think it's interesting that in the, in the last episode in, about aliens, we talked a lot about gender and about motherhood and the, the femininity. Um, but despite this film being entirely male casted apart from Ripley, the gender doesn't feed much into it. There are obviously early on moments of the first woman in the prison for 15 years kind of thing. And there are that there is a sort of a, a attempted rape scene of Ripley. That uh, is broken up, but I don't think that like in the second one they're talking about gender here it isn't it isn't an issue, which is quite strange I think given the setup of this film. Mm. Now, I don't know how much you know about the production of this film, Sam. Um, very little. Go ahead. They went into this production of this film with no script. Basically, they went through sort of probably five or six well-known rewrites prior, so different scripts appearing, um, and they started shooting without a. Um, a finished script, so things were being written as they shot. It was David Fincher's first film, his first feature film, and he was under a lot of pressure and a lot of notes from the studio. Um, and so the film ended up being kind of no one's ideal creative output. Mm. Um, I think sometimes that shows in the film. I think the film can be a bit muddled in places, mm. um, and it can fall back into some easy tropes that the leap from one to two managed to avoid some of those tropes, but by going to three, we seem to have gone back to some of the early stuff from Alien. Um, but I think that... I do enjoy it. I think it, it, it gets a, a short shift, shall we say. And a lot of people give it stick um, for being the the point at which some of the Alien trilogy sort of went off the rails a little bit. But I think it's got some far interesting ideas. I think, aside from the ideas of the plot, I think that the acting certainly deserves recognition like the film is chock with British characters mm. um, and I think every single person in this film totally owns their part and, and brings their A into it whether they are served well by the script on the film or not I think everyone's doing great work there's actually um, I noticed one of those brilliant character actors was Danny Webb who makes he's a a, a small appearance as one of the prisoners later on. Um, he is actually one of the um, leading characters in Humans that I mentioned maybe last week, possibly the week mm-hmm. before. Um, so you're right, though. This is this is full of exceptional actors, and it's just even even if the script isn't amazing and the production isn't perfect, it's just nice to see. Sigourney Weaver and Charles Dance in the scene together. Mm. I yes, I mean, let's say it's just 
in many ways it's a little masterclass on that. Mm. But I think whilst I mentioned that I think it's foregone the the gender ideas of the second one, I do think it's sort of trying to explore ideas of faith and sacrifice and belief mm. in in this film. Yeah, there's the large chunk of the early film, um, which is not something you've had in one or two, is her trying to convince people that this is real. Yeah. Obviously, in Alien, everything's happened. In two, they go there hunting the aliens. So here, there's a lot of you've got to believe me, you've got to trust me. She's having to work to convince the prisoners and the guards that this is real, this is something worth doing. Mm. And I think there's, on top of that, you've got this, this, this sort of street running through the prisoners of faith. Um, I'm just going to look at the, look at the actor's, character's name here. Uh, but Dylan, who is a two-time rapist murderer um, and one of the few American actors in the film, appears to be basically a, a preacher mm. as well as a prisoner. And he, everyone's brothers, and there's a lot of sort of religious iconography, but uh, language used by the prisoner to discuss each other and things they do. I thought I thought that was that was interesting, and that was something that maybe the film falls down a bit. It doesn't make enough of um, this sort of sort of turn to religion, and, and I don't know I don't know what what it is about it, but it's just, it's just not quite mm-hmm. right. I think for me, I'd say it went through various drafts of shooting, and it ends up being a bit of a mess. And I think this is that the, the ideas of faith and gender, the faith and sacrifice that we're talking about here are kind of there. It isn't clearly written, and you mm. feel that they were always on the cusp of saying something, but they never quite get there. And part of me thinks that's due to the um, the, the messy nature of the film production and the end, resulting film. But it does feel... You, you do feel that they're, they're almost saying something, they're almost doing something, not quite getting there in the end. The, the thing about Ripley as well is that she has to overcome two sets of inertia, and one is the fact that she's a woman. I, I don't mean well, inertia seems to be a good word. I'm not sure what I mean, but she has to overcome the fact that they're resistant to mm. an outsider in the form of a woman, and then she has to overcome the idea that they won't believe her. So she has to push forward this thing that she needs them to have faith in as well. So that that was interesting, and I think they. I mean, it, it, it might be around the production, as you said, but they very quickly seem to, um, I suppose, accept her presence as a woman and just be concerned mm. with what else she was talking about. And we thought, well, surely there, there'd be more resistance to, to the fact that she was there as a woman. So you're right. I, I don't think, I don't think there is very much of gender in this film. I think ideas of religious sacrifice are more prevalent but I think it suffers because of that I think it would have been a better film if they'd managed to to talk about gender more certainly at the beginning of the film they kind of threw away some of the goodwill of the second film but I think that there's there aren't, there aren't whilst even we can say they aren't completed or done to perfection there are these themes running through it and I think you've got and I think this is where we're going to start to move into some spoiler territory, guys. So if you haven't seen the film, time to check out now, I suppose. Um, but to jump right to the end of the film, the moment in which Ripley sacrifices herself. Because she knows within her she's got an alien mm. queen. Um, 
when she leaps off, there's a very kind of Christ-like iconography in that. She is, you know, she is in in, in the yeah. crucifixion position as she kind of dies off backwards. Mm. But I think you've also, I mean, on top of that, throughout the film, you've got the idea of sacrifice. Dylan sacrifices himself right at the end to kind of keep the the uh, alien in the um, in the smelting furnace. Earlier in the theme, I think it's, it's Morse. Is it Morse? Um, or Junior. One, one of the other um, um, inmates, one of the inmates who tried to rape Ripley early on, sacrifices himself to try and trap the alien in the, um, in the uh, nuclear bunker. So all throughout this film people are making the sacrifice to to help Ripley but save each other and that kind of thing so there's there's a lot of all throughout this people making sacrifices um, and even someone as misguided as someone like Golic um, not Golic um, the one who um, releases the alien from the bunker um, misguided as he was and clearly yes. as mad as he was he was doing. He was sacrificing himself. What he, what he thought was the, um, the the both the god of the alien, and I think that there's something about I suppose the worth of life in that. In that these these prisoners were so willing to throw themselves away for each other. Mm. You know that, that that's where this film I think is trying to explore some ideas. Is that this religion, this faith, which can often be portrayed as a damaging thing and as kind of a as a insidious thing, here, whilst it does result in the death of almost all the inmates, does allow for them to make sacrifices for each other. To pick up on that, there's one um, sort of a rousing speech from Dylan towards the end, um, directed at the, I think there are seven left out of twenty-four mm-hmm. at this point, twenty-five at this point, um, and he says, "You're all going to die." Um, which is, I suppose is, is a very sort of religious sentiment um, sort of bringing to their attention the inevitability of death that's, that's right, yes inevitability of death the um, fragileness of the human form um, but then he says so do you want to die the, the only difference is, is mm. how you go do you want to die lying down or on your knees and you think well I'm, I'm not sure what he's saying there is he saying I mean what he seems to be saying is the way to resist the alien is to pray on your knees and that's interesting because it's, it, this this idea of kneeling is often presented as a submissive one but in this case kneeling is powerful and religion is powerful I think part of that is linked back to the sort of the idea in the film that this is all they have. They're often made out early mm. in the film that they are forgotten. They are, you know, on the as they put it, the art end of nowhere. The, these are forgotten men with nothing in their lives. That, that they, you know, they get a supply ship every six months. They have three guards, and they make they smelt metal. That's all they do. They have they, they mm. their actions have taken everything from them. And their actions have led them to a a bad place. No one in here is, is trying to claim innocence or that they've been hard to them. They all accept their actions have led them to this place. Mm. And you do feel, not that they're broken people, but they've accepted their lot in life. Dylan certainly is. He 
it, that's part of the reason why he sacrificed himself at the end because he has accepted his lot in life and he he mm. is not worthy of anything more than he than he has right now. But I I would actually disagree with that. I think what what they're trying to say here, what they're trying to do here, is saying that this this is what makes them worthy. Oh yeah. That that, that they that throughout their life they've chosen selfish means. They've chosen things they wanted to do, um, be it rape, murder, whatever. They all chose to stay, all that kind of thing. And this, I think Dylan's basically saying, look, you know, we we, we are on our knees already, on our knees. Um, but I don't want to die that way. I want to die standing up, kind of thing. And I think he, the pitch he's making, I think what they're trying to tie it to is the idea that no matter how bad you've got to, you can still make the choice to stand up. Mm. And I, I don't know how this, the image of kneeling down for prayer and up is a different thing. But I think he's trying to tap into that idea that they've lost everything and they are nothing, but they can still be something at this point. That they're never going to survive. That isn't going to happen. So all they can do is make things better for those that do, mm. and that involves taking um, the alien out. And I think that's where you've got these people, these men who have been selfish livers their entire life. You know, even Clemens' character, the, the the doctor who was a very promising doctor, he made a selfish choice of getting a drunk, which ended up being to the people. He, his selfish choices mm. left him there, and he stayed on. And I imagine a lot of that is to do with self worth and the ideas of not deserving it better and being a broken man and not worth anything else that this this hunt this interaction with the alien gave them worth mm. and their sacrifice was a a personal one but also because of the faith they're all part of a religious one but I think it's interesting that their faith never mentions the afterlife there's no talk in their faith from Dylan and anyone about going on to a better place there isn't in his speech he isn't talking about you know, we can meet getting glory like that. You know, it's just a case of what we do here matters. Mm, yeah, and that's it's interesting that 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 whole sentiment starts with Dylan's interrupting of the rape scene because mm. that is the other the other inmates showing, as you said, showing their selfishness, doing what they want to, acting on how they feel that they want to act. And didn't interrupt it, and there's sort of there's, a, there's an arc from then to the end of the film with the, the inmates sort of growing in the realization of becoming more like Dylan and preparing to sacrifice themselves. But it is it is that moment, which for Ripley is a is a particularly scary moment. Um, mm. But for them that sort of triggers this idea that they should be sacrificing themselves. And it's strange that Dylan actually physically beats it into them. Yes. There's an element of penance, I suppose, there, and, and extremism in that religiosity, that it's a physical one. Mm. And they, I mean, they do... I mean, there was an early draft of this film about a, a wooden planet full of monks... And I think there is a certain monk-like nature to their lives. That it is, it is a life of penance, a life of works, yeah, well, and a life of poverty. One of them says right at the beginning that he's taken a vow. They've taken a vow of celibacy, and it's mm. and he, he's he's joking, and it's because of what their circumstances are. But those words are used: a vow of celibacy. So maybe that's a hangover from this this monk idea. Exactly. I mean, I mean, if, if if you want to dive into the history of of 
of this film, there are, there are lots of things that have kind of hung over from earlier drafts that are still hanging around, mm. um, and that's that's one of them. Um, but I think I think they they are mostly. I say I want to. They aren't overly successful in this. It is interesting the the religious terms, and then right at the end, you've got the other moment of, sort of religiosity. You've got Ash. Ash comes back a little bit earlier in the film, and at the end, his maker turns up. Mm. You've literally got the god character of of Ash, um, who turns up, and he was made in his image. I think that there's there's all these little things that are trying to have this. To have the cake eat it, they're trying to throw in these iconography moments and these cinematic moments about faith and sacrifice, but they never tie it all together into a whole to kind of have a moment or a, or a, or a reaction. Mm. Yeah, that that was the thing that I I sort of got the the point of the ending, and I could see what they were doing with the Christ imagery and Ripley sacrificing herself, and I just thought, well. I don't connect with this emotionally. Like, mm. I can see what they're trying to do. I'm just not quite sure they've done it. Yeah, I think that's... Mm. that. I, I totally agree with you on that. I think that the, the film is a bit of a mess, but I think it often gets short strip it doesn't deserve. One... In terms of an mm. overarching bit, bit, of, bit of creative work. Mm. One thing I did want to mention is um, the way in which... Ripley's affection for the alien comes out and she will in when she discovers that the, the alien doesn't want to hurt her because she's one of the family um, mm. there's sort of a, a, a loving relationship between her and the alien and even at the very end when she has sacrificed herself you see her she's, she's trying to prevent the alien which bursting out of her chest coming free from her as they fall into the vat but also there's something strangely loving about the way she's clutching it to her like the mm. alien becomes a child to her and after lo- losing her actual daughter and then losing Newt who was a daughter figure this is this is one daughter that Ripley hasn't lost it's, it's weird that in this all this imagery about the the alien being being a mother and being the quote unquote bitch. You have Ripley here being in charge of the alien and loving the alien and nurturing it. I think uh, just as a quick aside before we move on to our recommendations, I've just discovered in Sam's little little bit there that we've watched different versions of this film. Have we? We have. Um, so you've seen the theatrical version of the film, which ends with. The uh, the alien bursting out of her chest. Mm. I have watched the assembly cut, which is the the recut from the uh, the early two thousands, I think it was, um, which is considered more of a definitive version. It was recut with a new editor. Right. Um, and it doesn't feature the alien bursting out of her chest. She just leaps off and dies in the in the in the, in the uh, fire. Oh. So I think I think everything we said is true across both versions, but I do think it's interesting they both have seen different versions of this film. Um, but end up with with similar views on it. Hmm. I mean, what else is is different about the two films? There's about half an hour more in the version I saw, so there's more about their faith and them praying as as a um, a group of, uh, of inmates. Um, there's a list somewhere online of what the changes were. Um, it's more extended cuts, more violence, um, and that kind of thing. Oh, right. But the basic tenets of the story are the same. 
Um, but yeah. yeah. So Sam, do you have any recommendations for us following this week? Um, I say, do you? I know you have because that's how we work the podcast. But yeah. what are they? <laughs> um, so first one this week, um, I was I knew nothing about the director of this film, and I was very pleased to see that it was David Fincher. Um, and we talked a lot about various David Fincher films before on this podcast. And I will mention another one that is not generally seen as a as a particularly great film, but has some good acting performances in it, although um, it's based on a book and the two actors playing the two protagonists are far too attractive, given how they're described in the book. But it's a lesser-known David Fitch film. It's 2011 Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. And Daniel Craig and Rini Mara, in spite of being, as I said, too attractive, are, are very good. And I've seen, I've seen the original version, but I haven't seen the American remake. I must say, well, it's 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 not a great film, but it's it's worth watching. It's pleasant enough. And cool. and my second one is a recommendation for. I was thinking back to all these um, great British character actors that you mentioned right at the beginning, and one of them is. Um, a man who's sadly no longer with us, whom I saw um, in the lead role of The Tempest in Manchester, um, shortly before he died. Um, and he was also in Inception. He was the father in Inception. It's Pete Postlethwaite. Mm-hmm. So, it, given that well, I don't want to do down any credibility it might have by recommending Brass Off, I thought I'd go for it's Inception. Brilliant. Brilliant, that's what it is. <laughs> Brilliant. Fair enough. Fair enough. I my recommendations. I found it really, I found it really hard to recommend a similar styled film because of all the problems we discussed with the the style of the film being a bit of a mess and it being its own kind of thing. I really couldn't think of a film to recommend in the same sort of vein. So I've taken two actors and um, gone down their their filmographies. So first up was the character of Dylan, played by Charles S. Dutton. Quite a threatening character in this, but he is in a film that I really like, but really messed me up as a, as a young, a young film watcher back in 1996, and that is uh, the Joel Schumacher film A Time to Kill, based on the John Grisham novel, uh, starring Mahonahay, Sandra Bullock, Sandra Jackson, Kevin Spacey, loads of people who you'd recognise. It tells the tale of, of a man who murdered two men who raped his daughter, and it's set in the deep South America and the um, sort of the racial tensions with the KKK and all that kind of thing simmering over in this in this town it is a really hard film to watch in many ways because of the nature of what it's talking about but being based on a John Grisham novel it is tightly written tightly acted and you know the, the, the top bill cast are are brilliant at the bottom so he plays the sheriff in it Ozzy Wallace or Walls Walls um, and yeah, it's a great film, and it's it's one that uh, I really enjoyed, but you don't see around too much. So, yeah. My other recommendation is kind of not a recommendation. It's an anti-recommendation in many ways, right. but kind of a recommendation. It's, it's a weird one. So, in the same way that this film, Alien 3, is a bit of a mess, and had lots of ideas that didn't quite pull off as, as a united whole, the same can be said for my recommendation, which I've taken Charles Dance, 
who plays Clemens in Alien 3. He, only a year later, appeared as Benedict in the Arnold Schwarzenegger-led The Last Action Hero. This film essentially tells the tale of a, a young man who loves Arnie, or the character he plays with Jack Slater, um, and when Jack Slater comes through the movie screen into the real world, um, sort of movie action tropes and effects get sort of brought with him, including his uh, sort of very cartoony bad guy, Pepper Charles Arts Benedict. It suffered a lot by being a bit of a, a bit of a mess, a bit of a smorgasbord of ideas. But much like Alien 3, it did kind of try and do a lot of things. Didn't quite pull them off. I wouldn't say it's a good film, because I think that would be me lying to you. But I think it's an interesting film, and I think that if you're after a good, fun thing to watch on Saturday afternoon, you can't go much wrong with The Lost Hero. But don't think it's going to win losses. It's not going to be you know, anything more than that. It is a mess, but it is a mildly enjoyable one. So it's not an anti-recommendation, right. but it's also not a recommendation. It's somewhere between the two. Right. Okay. So yeah. So next week, Sam. Next week. What are we doing? Next, next week, week we are doing the fourth and the final part of the Alien Quadrilogy. And I will next mm. week want to interrogate the idea of a quadrilogy and whether this even qualifies. Uh, but we are picking up with Alien Resurrection. Made, I don't know how much, how, how long later. I'm going to look at it right now while I'm on the phone with you. Five years. Five years later. Um, so we will dive into that one next week. Until then, you can find both of us online at Twitter at Prestige Podcast. You can find just me at Life Underscore Academic. Or you can find just me at Rob Kaiju. And we'll see you back here next week. Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr. Arg.